All right, we're going to continue now in our study of God's Word. We've been going through the Gospel of John. We are in John chapter 6 this morning. And uh, as I read this text to prepare this week, I got really excited. Um, For those of you who've been journeying with us for a while, you're starting to see how things are layering and just the, the beauty of how the Gospel of John is put together and the points that are being made Um, about who Jesus is, the identity of Jesus in this section of the Gospel of John is really a gift uh, to each and every one of us. And so I'm just going to help us unpack it this morning. Hopefully uh, we can get to the clarity of what Jesus wants to bring um, so that you can receive uh, his word and that it would just uh, bless you and inform you and, and guide you in your discipleship. Uh, With that being said, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I pray that uh, you would be with us in this time that we have together to study your word. Um, Lord, uh, be uh, a presence among us, Lord, to to give us peace, um, to give us rest, to reveal to us uh, the things that we need to understand about who you are and what you're doing in our lives And Lord, draw us together as a church now to receive the bread of life uh, that is the thing that can nourish and sustain us through our time here with you. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. You can follow along on the screen or you can listen along and there's a pew Bible or if you brought your Bible, bonus points. Um, John chapter 6 starting at verse 25 says this, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you this bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall loose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, 
and I will raise them up on the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling amongst yourselves, Jesus answered. Say, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone has heard the Father and learned from him comes to, comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them." Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. All right, so I want to talk for uh, a few moments now about the theme of spiritual hunger. And I want to pick on uh, a, a couple of verses in order to help me do this from our text that I just read. The first one I want to pick on is from John 6, 27. It says this, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. There is a great discernment to be made on how to do this. There is in reality a discernment every breath, every moment, every hour, every day of our lives, every year of our lives on how to do this. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And one of the things that I just wanna draw out is I believe that one of the ways that we can learn how to discern how to do this is to understand why it's true. Why is it true that we can spend a lot of time doing a lot of things that do not matter and why is it true that if we do things with God, that they will last forever? 
And we need this constant reminder, don't we, um, as we go through our lives about what simply matters most and how do we participate um, in the life that God wants to bless us with so that our days are meaningful and our lives are meaningful. One of the best writers on spiritual hunger uh, that I know of is C.S. Lewis. And he has a book that every Christian should read. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend reading it. Uh, It's called Mere Christianity. And he takes up the issue of spiritual hunger in his chapter on hope in Mere Christianity. And it explains something about the human experience that I really want you to think deeply about. I really want you to pay attention to and see if it's true. That if, as you hear uh, this explanation, does it strike you as true to your human experience? Okay, so uh, here's what Lewis says. He says this, the longings, so the premise here is that you have longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, as an example, or first think of some foreign country, maybe somewhere we want to go, or first take up some subject that excites us. Maybe he, you know, he's an academic, so he's thinking about things that he loves to learn. Our longings, which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. So there's a longing, and then there's a conversation about love, travel, learning. And then it's saying, when you partake of, even when you have that first love, that there's still something not fully satisfied. I am not now speaking of what would be ordinarily called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. I am speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we grasped at in the first moment of longing which just fades away in reality. And now there are two wrong ways of dealing with this fact and one right one. So it's saying that you have this longing for love. And when you fall in love, and let's say you met your perfect match, right? Of course, everybody here met their perfect match, those of you who are married, right? But even if you meet your perfect match, the one perfectly designed for you, that there's something still that you long for, that there's an incompleteness. Even in the great gift of your love, there's something you feel, there's a deeper longing that's yet unmet. And so now he's gonna give us responses to this sense. Like even when I strive to get something, maybe you've done this, maybe you've accomplished a great goal and you thought that it would give you something and maybe for a moment it gave you that thing. But then, you realized you still have that longing within you. And so there are responses to this feeling of longing. And one Lewis calls the fool's way. He says, he puts the blame on the things themselves. He goes on all his life thinking that if only he tried another woman or went for more expensive holiday or whatever it is, then this time he would really catch the mysterious thing he is after. And I wonder, how busy are we 
chasing after a new way to satisfy this longing. Like how much of what we do and how busy our culture is is just about going for the next thing. Well, if this didn't work, how do I get to the next thing and to the next thing and to the next thing and to the next thing until I can find the thing that actually will satiate, that will actually satisfy my hunger, my deep longing. So that's one response we call the fool's way. And then another is uh, a response called the way of the disillusioned or sensible man. He soon decides that the whole thing was moonshine, meaning, you know, like, like an alcoholic delusion, this longing. Of course, he says, one feels like when one's young, but by the time you get to my age, you've given up chasing the rainbow's end meaning you've given up trying to fulfill these longings, these desires within you, these dreams within you, right? And you you fall back into a disillusionment. And so he settles down and learns not to expect too much and represses the part of himself which used, uh, as he would say, to cry for the moon. And so one way is to continuously strive to satisfy that longing, and the other is to just withdraw and pretend like it's not real, to let dreams die and to wither. And I would say this also is a way of denying our humanity, right? To just say, no, I I don't experience any longings. And then finally, of course, Lewis is is doing some brilliant apologetics here, so he's going to give us how Christianity actually speaks into this deeper longing. He says this, the Christian way says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger while there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim while there is such a thing as water. Man feels sexual desire where there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which has no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Isn't this what Jesus is talking about as he's discussing with this group of people that have chased him down because they've experienced a miracle at his hand and they want to know more about what is going on with Jesus. Why is he, how did he get to the other side of the lake? And what is this miracle all about? And what does it mean that he's on the scene? But we can see here, even those who have eaten from the hand of Jesus, who did this miraculous thing, right? They're still unsatisfied. They've seen a miracle, and it hasn't done the thing that they hoped that it would do for them, or that we might expect that it would do for them, right? If we were there on that day and we received this bread and saw Jesus do this incredible thing, we might think, okay, that would be proof. But we see as Jesus, who has no option but to just simply tell the truth of who he is, is met with a response we would not expect. Give us more signs. Explain yourself. And then as he does, The frustration grows, right? And the grumbling 
is all around. And one of the reasons we can see why we have to understand why there may have been some frustration. Let's get to our big word for today. Okay, so in our text, uh, in John 6, 35, it says this, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Okay, I am the bread of life, which is the first of seven I am sayings in the Gospel of John. And this is a parallel as we've been going through. We've been seeing how the Exodus narrative has a lot of parallels, especially in this part of the Gospel of John. And this is one of them, this I am statement. You may remember that it comes from when Moses first encounters God in the burning bush. And he asks, he's given this great task to liberate the Hebrew people. And then he's like, okay, who do I tell the people who sent me? What do I say? And this is God's response. He says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Ready for your first big word? This is, you're going to be smart after you learn this one. Okay, so this, this name uh, is uh, known as a tetragrammaton, Yahweh. Okay, that's a big word, but it is a word that was used to describe the uniqueness, uh, uniqueness of God's name. It is a very unique phrase, and it would conjure up a sense of reverence and holiness. I am who I am, Yahweh. And we see here, here's a translation. This is a verb, to be. Right, so we can just simply think God's name is to be. Existence itself, right, to exist. I love this one, to cause to become. To cause to become, Yahweh. In the name of God, there's a sense that when you're connected to God, that he causes you to become. Or when the world is connected to God, he calls it into full bloom, into flourishing, into life. To come to pass. That God is all of history, and he's seen more than we've seen. And will continue the ancient, as ancient of days to be beyond us. Right? And so this reverence is, is essential in the name of God. That when we come with our questions and our struggles and our frustrations, that when we encounter the great I am, that there's a way in which we need to stand in humility. We may not get every answer, but we know who we are with. And that helps us to change our perspective. But let's see how, how they missed it. Like when the bread of life is on the table, what's the response of the people around Jesus? John 6, uh, 51 and 52 explain a little bit. It says, I am the living bread. So there he adds living. We see the hint of the resurrection that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply, oof, among themselves. How can this man give us this flesh to eat? And of course, they don't understand what Jesus is, is saying. 
there may be a lot of reasons for that, right? This is, they, they were dedicated to protect I am statements, to protect the name of God, but their legalism had drawn them out and they're, they're missing what's new on the scene. Simon T- Tugwell has a beautiful prayer book called Living with God. I think has a great explanation of maybe how we could miss it. He says this, whatever our problem is, whatever the anxiety we bring to the Lord, he has got only one thing to say, one, only one answer, himself. Right At the end of the day, they wanted a lot of window dressing and a lot of proofs and a lot of things, but what God has to offer is himself. As I was sitting and praying this morning about how to explain this, I, I was thinking about when... A kid is little, like when you have to get a, a present for a two-year-old at their birthday, right? You could spend a lot of time, what does this two-year-old want for their birthday? Um, and then you could get a big box and a big bow, and, and, and you dress it all up, right? And then when you watch the two-year-old open the present, half of the time, if not more, the, the box is more interesting, right? And you realize the party is really for us, and uh, they're not going to remember this party so well. But uh, sometimes our spirituality can start to feel like that. Like it's about the dressing. Like the things on the outside. Like the pretty box. Um, what attracts us is the pretty box, right? And these, these uh, people that ate from the hand of God that want to know more, they're obsessed with the window dressing. Like they're pushing back, they're pushing back on what it should look like and how it should be, right? You gave us bread. Give us another sign. And all Jesus has to offer is himself. And so maybe today what we could do is just picture if we were given a present. And inside of that present was just a loaf of bread. Just a simple loaf of bread. And Jesus says, here, I give you this. This is my very self given for you. That what God gives what the word that God gives is Jesus he speaks this word into the world and we can just simplify it and say humbly this is the gift and it's not given to coerce anybody through force or manipulation it's simply given again and again and again out of vulnerable love for humanity, this simple piece of bread. You know, in Jesus' time and culture, bread was the center of the meal. For us, it's usually some kind of meat or something like that. But for Jesus in his time, bread was the center of the meal. This was the most important thing. So the last thing I want to do is to just simply invite a posture for how to receive this gift of the bread of heaven that is the promise of eternal life.
Simon Tugwell again says this, blessed are the poor. How easily we take that always to mean somebody else. Yet if we want to be with God, we must learn to hear it as blessed are we who are poor. We who have nothing, who have got who have not got anything very impressive to give anybody, whose giving may very well be rather a nuisance, but still have not given up giving. Who knows, our giving ourselves in all of our poverty may one day bring some joy to somebody else who is poor, who is not calculating, not trying to repair a church roof. God invites us into the conspiracy of the poor, making himself its head, giving himself in poverty and weakness, knowing that if we only receive that humble gift of his, it will transform everything. So God gives and in so is vulnerable and weak, hoping that we will respond. And in the same way, we come poor with nothing to give God only ready to receive. St. Augustine once read, Christ is the bread awaiting hunger. All we need to do is get in touch with our spiritual hunger and all of a sudden we are nourished by the living God. The psalmist in Psalm 73 puts it perfectly. This is the last thing. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Wow. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth has nothing I desire. There is nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but my God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. May it be so. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you be our portion again this morning? Prepare our hearts, Lord, uh, by making us uh, crave only the things that you provide the things that will give us the life that we need, the sustenance that we need, and let everything else fade away so that we can have more and more and more of you. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.